my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where I'm joining you each and every week, bringing you the weekend's latest news, latest stories on, of course, Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, and the decentralized revolution. Each and every week, making sure that you are up to date with the most, what I call, asymmetric information. Now, asymmetric information means that you have information that most people don't have. And when you have information that most people don't have, it allows you to have an edge. It allows you to have um, an edge in the market where you can have an asymmetric opportunity. That means you have more upside than downside. Uh, basically, what that means is, you know, the the way the stock market works, the way the, the real estate market works, those have been commoditized. Everybody has all the information. And so the alpha, which is the profit, has been squeezed. But when you can find something brand new like a private equity company or some sort of a, a company that doesn't have as much attention on it, um, you might find something where you know something most people don't have. And that's what gives you that asymmetric opportunity, that, that massive upside edge. And that's where we're at right now with Bitcoin and with cryptocurrencies. You know, I know a lot of you listening right now um, 
might think you're too late. You've heard about all the money that's been made in the, in the years past. It's, it's one of the most common questions I get asked all the time. Is it too late? Did I miss out? Right? And on and on and on. And I am here to tell you firsthand the answer is no. <laughs> you did not miss out. You are not too late. And honestly, I mean, just the fact that you might even ask yourself the question, uh, that, that particular question, just shows you how early that you are. I mean, we are just getting started, as I like to say each and every week. This is the decentralized revolution. Now, there's, um, you know, there's new technologies. And you hear about new technologies all the time, right? New technologies like the iPhone. That was pretty cool. Uh, I'm sure most people listening have that, or like Uber, that was pretty cool as well. And those are technologies that 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 uh, continue trends. Technological revolutions change the way humanity works. That's what we're witnessing right now, and that takes time. And so, anyway, just I'm here to reassure you that you are still early. You are not late. Um, and so, join me each and every week. On this channel at this time, the Mark Moss Show, as we talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the decentralized revolution. Now, if you do tune into me each and every week, it will probably be the most profitable and hopefully uh, even the most entertaining part of your week. But it might come as a surprise to you that I'm not going to sit here and talk about the price all the time. Because out of all the things that is happening in this decentralized revolution, I think the price is probably the least boring, or I should say the mo most boring. It's, a, it's the least interesting thing that is happening. I mean, we are literally changing the world, literally making moves that will shift the way humanity works. Um, that's what's interesting. Um, it's interesting to understand what all these little shifts are, how they're working, and what that means for the future. So um, the way that I like to look at it is, uh, I'm sure you've all watched a movie where people went back in time uh, call it Back to the Future, if you're old enough to remember that one. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you've all watched a movie where they went back in time and they say, don't, don't, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. If, if you even move one little thing, it can have this massive change in the future when we go back. That's uh, the, the ripple effect, butterfly effect. And so that's what we like to do is we like to look at these little things that are happening right now today that um, witnessing them right now today maybe doesn't seem like they're that big of a deal. But these are the little things that we need to be aware of so that we can take advantage of, so we can participate in uh, this massive shift that's happening. So um, the price, especially the daily or the weekly price, is probably the least important or the least interesting thing in my opinion. But let's talk about it anyway. So uh, big news was last week when we were um, when we were together, hopefully you're together with me, uh, that, that Bitcoin was blasting through its, its previous all-time high and had got almost up to 70,000 U.S. dollars. We got just over 69,000 U.S. dollars, which was pretty amazing. Um, and then it crashed. Oh, my gosh. It crashed all the way down. Um, a devastating 15% from its high. And it got all the way back down to prices not seen for about 10 days before. <laughs> and I say that sarcastically because uh, you wouldn't know by the news headlines that come out um, talking about the price and how uh, the price is crashing down and, uh, you know, panic is in the streets and maybe you should sell and all these things. And so I, I use a little bit of sarcasm uh, just to just to kind of illustrate how ridiculous that is. Uh, yeah, we hadn't seen this price um, until 
October 28th was the last time we see. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, about 10 days. So we haven't seen this price for about 10 days. It crashed all the way back down. But um, to give you a little bit of perspective, if you're just tuning in and you're not really that aware, since October 1st, we went up almost 70%. And we're still sitting, even with the crash, <laughs> the, the big crash, we're still sitting up 40% in just about five weeks. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you understand what 40% means, but let me give you some perspective. Um, over the last 60, 80 years, the stock market, which is where the majority of people have their wealth, has averaged about a 6 or 8% return per year. <laughs> 6 or 8% per year. Depends on if it's 60 or 80 years. Um, and with Bitcoin, we're up 40% in five weeks. So let me just let me just give you that perspective real quick, because if you listen to mainstream media, um, they're gonna, they're, they're never gonna fill you in on the right way. And then to give you a little bit more perspective on it, again, the price is probably the most uninter uninteresting piece. Uh, but since January 1st, again, right, the stock market, those, it's 8% per year, we're up 118%. So um, it's pretty amazing what it's been doing. Uh, but again, like I said, that's the least interesting piece. What I'd rather do Let's talk about where it could go. And I'm sure a lot of you would rather know that as well, right? Um, wouldn't you like to know where the price of Bitcoin go, the valuation of Bitcoin could go in the future? So as an investor, right, that's what we're looking for. They, they, call the, they call the stock market a discounting mechanism. So that means that I could buy something cheaper today than it would be worth in the future. That's what we're doing. And, and if you buy Tesla stock or Facebook stock or whatever you're buying, um, you're buying that, hopefully, at a price lower than where you think it will be in the future, so you have some profit. You could also be buying it higher than where you think it will be in the future. In that case, you might short it, and that's okay as well. But the point is, is you're, you're buying it um, you know, typically at a, at a discount to where you think you can sell it for in the future. And so um, when you're looking at the price, you're really trying to think about where it can go in the future, which is, um, seems common sense, right? Doesn't that seem kind of normal? Which it is. But if that's so normal, then why is it that everybody always comes in and says, well, Bitcoin seems really expensive to me? Well, <laughs> it seems expensive compared to what? Is it expensive compared to where it was 10 years ago at, at, a, at a penny or expensive to where it was at the beginning of the year? Or is it expensive compared to where it's going to be in the future? Now, remember, <laughs> right, we're always supposed to be trying to buy it cheaper uh, than we think it will be in the future. So we should be thinking about where the price will be in the future. But when people come in and say it's, it's, it's too expensive, they're comparing it to where it was in the past, which doesn't make any sense, does it? The answer is no, it doesn't make any sense. Of course, most people don't really think through this logically, which is why I'm here talking in your ear every single week. So I can really help you make sense of this. I want to change the way that you think about money, change the way that you think about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And so um, hopefully that little thought exercise helped you. Um, you're trying to buy it cheaper than it will be in the future. So we want to understand where it will be. And so I want to tell you, I want to tell you where I think it can be in the future and not just me. I mean, who am I? I mean, yeah, I've been studying and talking about Bitcoin for a long time, but let's look at some of the biggest names on wall street and see where they think it could be names like Kathy Wood. Maybe you've heard of her. She runs the largest tech fund on wall street. Yep. She's somebody that I would listen to. Or maybe um, from the fund managers that were just surveyed from Bank of America, 
maybe let's find out where they think it would be. So I want to bring that information back to you. Uh, where will Bitcoin be? Can we buy it cheaper today than it will be in the future? Uh, so we'll talk about those things. Of course, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and the decentralized revolution. I'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin, of course. <laughs> Each and every week, we're talking about Bitcoin, and we're talking about the cryptocurrency movement. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. Now, I know, I'm boring you, I'm boring you. If you were with me before the break, I was talking about Bitcoin's price, and I've told you <laughs> it's probably the least interesting thing uh, about it, at least my least favorite thing to talk about. Uh, but I always call it the bait and switch. People come in hoping to make a bunch of money. That's the bait. And the switch is they realize that this is the tool that will bring us back our freedom. This is the tool that will change the entire world. This is the tool that will make sure our children live in a free and valuable world, as opposed to <laughs> a not free, a totalitarian world. Bitcoin is that tool. It is that difference. So uh, while Bitcoin price may not be that interesting compared to those subjects like saving humanity, uh, we'll finish talking about it because like I said, it is the bait that brings people in for the switch. And so um, before the break, I was kind of telling you that um, most people um, understand intuitively that you're trying to buy a stock like Tesla or Facebook um, cheaper than where you think will be in the future. But most people think that Bitcoin is expensive because they compare it to the past, which doesn't make sense. So where do we think Bitcoin could be in the future? Well, the easy, there's, there's a bunch of ways to get to this data. And the easy way is to go, well, what markets is it disrupting? Where will it pull its value from? How big are those markets? And do we think it can get 1%, 5%, 10% of those markets? That'd be an easy way to do that. Um, and we can, we can walk through some of those thought exercises, but I wanted to look at a couple news stories that just came out this week that I think you should know. So for example, um, there was a, a poll that was recently run by Bank of America and they pulled their fund managers. These are guys that, um, you know, have educations and degrees and spend their entire career studying markets. Um, you know, I don't know if I want to say they're smarter than you and I, but they definitely put a lot of time into it. And collectively, uh, when they're surveyed, you know, it's something that I would definitely listen to, definitely take a look at. And what we saw is that uh, in this poll, one fourth of the fund managers expect Bitcoin's price to be over $75,000 in 12 months. In my opinion, that's very low. But even still, today, right now, it's about uh, much less than that. <laughs> it's about 58,000 58, and change. And so, shoot, if you could buy something for 58 and sell it for 75 in the future, that wouldn't be too bad. Um, again, this is what they're saying, not me. And uh, also, by the way, this is not financial advice. All we're doing is we're just trying to look at the information that's in front of us and make the best decision that we can with what we have. Now, I'm giving you the information, but it's up to you to decide what you want to do with that. Uh, but, you know, they're saying that they think the price could be over 75000 in one year. I think we could see it happen much sooner than that. Um, but anyway, that's what they're thinking. Um, but I think it go even bigger. Let's take a look at what Kathy Wood. So Kathy Wood is... Um, 
She's like, uh, like I said before the break, she's the head of one of uh, Arc Investment Management. She's the CEO. Um, it's the, one of the largest uh, tech in, uh, tech funds on Wall Street, um, and she's a woman, so I think she leads the largest fund on Wall Street as well. And so, given her position, um, not only in technology but also kind of being a woman there, I would think you know she's not somebody who would just be. Um, cavalier and just kind of throwing out a bunch of numbers around, right? When she says something, I'm sure she puts a lot of thought into what it is. And of course, um, she's at the intersection of finance and technology because she runs the big tech fund, right? So she's somebody else that I would take a listen to. Now, I, I don't take anybody, I don't take one piece of information, I don't take one indicator and consider that law. What I'd like to do is look at lots of indicators lots of fundamentals and lots of opinions, and then try to find where the consensus is with that, right? So don't take any of this on its own by itself, but when you start putting it together, it, it, it kind of leads to a pretty compelling answer. And so she said in an interview um, with Barron's Magazine, which is a financial, um, she said that, quote, if institutional investors, so this, these are like the hedge funds and stuff like that. If institutional investors move into Bitcoin and were to allocate 5% of their portfolios to it, then that would bring the, the value, the price of Bitcoin to around $560,000 per coin. So that's about a 10x from here, a 1,000% gain. It's pretty big. But is that even realistic? Like, would institutional investors really allocate 5% of their portfolios? Well, let's take a look at some of the data. So let's see. Well, we have some of the most famous, and these maybe aren't household names like Warren Buffett to you. Uh, but for me, living in the financial world, these are some of the biggest names in the space. I'm uh, Stanley Druckenmiller, um, Ray Dalio, Paul Tudor Jones, Tim Draper, you probably, you might have heard of a few of those people before. Peter Thiel, founder of PayPal. And so um, they all have at least that or more allocated to Bitcoin. Um, we have, we've seen that. They have already done that. These are the leaders. Uh, we've seen Fortune 500, you know, S&P 500 companies like MicroStrategy move all of their allocation into Bitcoin. We've seen other big companies such as uh Square, Square Payment Company, who moved uh, not all of it, but a big chunk of their allocation into Bitcoin. So it's already happening, right? Um, it's It's been about a year, and in a year, we've seen lots and lots of them coming over. So it's not that big of a stretch to think that over the next couple of years, we might see the big institutional investors moving just a small 5% over. Um and if that were to happen, as she said, we could easily see the price of Bitcoin rise 10x or 1,000% from here. Now, let me just kind of give you a little idea on risk management and the way they think through this. So I would never advocate anybody to go all in on anything. You don't want to do that. Um, what happens is when you make a decision, you, uh, most people think about how much they can make. They think about the positive part. They think about the optimism, right? How much can I make? And they make their decisions based off of that. Unfortunately, that's not how you know professional investors think about it. Professional investors think about the downside. What's the downside? How much could I lose? All right, so then you always want to manage your risk. Um, investing is kind of like a gladiator. The more you do it, the more likely you are to die. And so while you can get lucky over and over and over, 
you can get lucky for 10 years and then you make a wrong move, a wrong decision. You could lose it all. You could die. And so you want to think about risk management. So you don't want to go all in. If I do, if, if I do make a decision um, to go in on a position, I think about two things. One, um, if I'm wrong, what's the worst that will happen? And two, am I okay with that? That's how I think about it. If I'm wrong, what's the worst that'll happen? I'll lose all of my investment. And am I okay with that? And so ask yourself that question. And then, um, what you also want to think about is how much should I allocate to that? So if you're talking about buying Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, how much of your total investable assets should you put in? So I, I say your investable assets. Don't include your house in that. Um, but your investable assets, what is your liquid net worth? You know, How much do you have in the bank? How much do you have in stocks, bonds, 401ks, et cetera, that you're currently investing? Total all that up. And then as a percentage, not a dollar amount, but as a percentage, how much should you put into Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? And so that's kind of the way you think through this risk management. Now, I want to tell you the answer, but I'm going to say that as soon as I come back from the break. By the way, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. And of course, we're talking about Bitcoin, obviously, cryptocurrencies, and this giant decentralized revolution, which is in my opinion, the biggest opportunity you'll ever see in your lifetime. So I'll be right back. I'm going to tell you how to figure out the percentage of allocation, and I'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Ma Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin. We are talking about cryptocurrencies, and we are talking about, of course, this decentralized revolution. And I've been spending a lot of time with you today talking about the Bitcoin price, and I don't typically do that. As I said, it's probably the least interesting thing in my opinion. Um, but I do want to talk about risk management, and that is important. And the reason why that's important is because you don't want to die. Now, <laughs> that seems obvious, but you don't want to die. You don't want to lose all your money. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Um, for a lot of you that maybe have been following me for a while, you might know my story. And my story is something, uh, the short version is that um, I got started early, early on investing into real estate when I was 18 years old, buying properties, fixing them up and selling them. And I made a lot of money. Uh, I made a lot of money with real estate. I started a couple different businesses, did really, really well with businesses. I had Fortune 500 exit on one of my tech companies. Um, and I put all that into real estate and I sold all my rental properties and I put all that into real estate and I was developing real estate in Southern California. And in 2008, during the great financial crash, it didn't work out too well for me. Let's just say that. <laughs> so I learned the hard way that you don't want to put everything in. You don't want to be all into one asset at one asset class. And so I didn't have proper risk management. So that's, I guess I'm giving you that lesson today. And so, um, as I was saying before the break, um, talking specifically about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, how much should you put in? And you want to think about your risk management. And so, um, think about things in terms of percentages. So how much, what is your total investable assets worth? How much money do you have in the bank and, and your 401k and your stocks and all these investments, not your home, your home's not an investment, but investment properties, you could also count that as well. Um, and add all that up. And then, and then you divide it into percentages, all right? You divide that up. And I would also think about it in terms of, <clears throat> you have to figure out what that risk is. So for example, um, I just said how um, um, a lot of the, the Bank of America fund managers think that Bitcoin could be over $75,000 next year. Um, Fidelity uses something called the stock to flow model. They think it could be over $150,000. There's dozens of uh, Wall Street veterans that think it could be over $150,000. I'm talking here about uh, Kathy Wood, the CEO of ARK Investment Management. She says it could be um, over $560,000 by 2026, which is five years from now. So I, I kind of agree with that. 
I think she has very good reason, very sound reasoning for that to happen. Um, I think that I think there is a good chance that that happens. It's, it's probable. Let me say it's probable. So investors and you should never never be thinking about things in terms of absolutes. You think about things in terms of probabilities. Everything in life is a probability. Uh, we can never say anything 100% for certain, certain because almost anything can happen. Um, for all I know, aliens could come and destroy the world tomorrow. I mean, the, the probability of that happening is probably like well, less than 1%. <laughs> it's like 0.0001, but, but it could happen, right? It could happen. So you have to think about things in terms of probability. And if you can start to think like that, your, your, your investment life and, and probably life overall will be much better. So think about it like this. I've broken down the math for you. I've given you um, opinions of who who thinks it can go where. Um, I told you, you know, Kathy Wood thinks if 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 fund managers would just put five percent of their portfolios into Bitcoin, it could hit five hundred sixty thousand in five years. And I've explained to you how some of the biggest fund managers have already started to do that. Um, some of the biggest fund managers have already started to put more than five percent of their portfolios in, and they're outperforming everybody else. Now you probably uh, probably are aware that Wall Street and investing is a pretty competitive game, and so. If one fund manager is beating you, then you need to do something to catch up and try to beat him. And so if he's allocated to his some of his fund to Bitcoin and now is outperforming you, then you probably have to do the same thing. So the fact that we already have a few people doing it and they're outperforming everybody else tells me that everyone else is probably going to start joining them in, a, in only a matter of time. So I think it's probable, it's highly probable that 5% of investment fund managers would put, oh, I'm sorry, Investment fund managers would put 5% of their assets into Bitcoin, and we could see that price. Now, what you have to do is you have to decide, do you think that's probable? And if so, what percentage do you think, what probability would you assign to that? Do you think there's a 1% chance that the price of Bitcoin could get to 560000 by 2026, like Kathy Wood says? Is there a 1% chance? And if so, do you have 1% of your portfolio in Bitcoin? Do you think there's a 2% chance? Do you think there's a 5 a 10% chance? And so if you think there's a 10% chance that happens, then you might want to consider putting a 10% allocation towards that asset. All right? So that's the way that you can think about it on a risk-adjusted um, position. All right? You have to determine what you think is the risk or the probability and then assign your percentage to it. Um, and so that's up to you. I can't tell you. Uh, for me, I think that's highly probable. Um, I, would, uh, <laughs> I would assign that uh, uh, at least an average chance. Let's just call it that. I'm not going to give you specific numbers. Again, this is not financial information. Uh, but I think there's at least an average chance that that happens. As I said, some of the top guys are already doing it. They're beating everybody else. And we're starting to see more and more people pulled in. Um, so anyway, that's enough probably about the price. Um, like I said, it's probably the least uh, least important thing, the least interesting thing to talk about. Um, but I want to talk about um, something else now. All right. So since this is happening, um, it's starting to cause um, another effect. And this is another effect that I want to dig into. And it's called, um, well, yeah, I'll give you the I'll give you the name. It's it, it's a speculative attack, and it's a speculative attack on the U.S. dollar. And so, as these fund managers, they're all investors. They're all trying to get their edge. Um, as they're seeing this happen, they're starting to form this speculative attack on the U.S. dollar. Now, maybe they're not realizing this, 
but they are. Now, the speculative attack really got started back um, the first time it's really probably hit hit fame was was well known was uh, by one of the an investor that I'm not super fond of, but maybe one of the best track records in the industry, which is George Soros. And he became famous for breaking the Bank of England in uh, by betting against the pound. And so they were trying to peg they were trying to peg it. Uh, meaning they were trying to hold the valuation, and he t- he did a speculative attack against it and broke it and made over a billion dollars with a B, a billion dollars on a single day on a single trade. And so the way that works is it's a speculative attack, meaning I borrow that asset, that currency, for cheap, and then use it to bet against it. So I'm using their, their um, fighting fire with fire, right? So um, I'm trying to attack in, in this hypothetical, well, in, in George Soros' case, he was attacking the pound, the British pound, the pound sterling is a different currency, right? And he was borrowing it for super cheap and then using it to bet against it and hurt it at the same time. And of course, uh, like I said, he made a billion dollars on that bet. Um, he became famous and he's continued to do that ever since. But now we're starting to see Lots of people do this. Wall Street is doing this. Um, you know, the Fed, the central bank, <laughs> the, the United States Central Bank, the Federal Reserve wants to put interest rates at zero or pretty much at zero, which means people like these institutions that I just referenced, these Wall Street firms can get money for almost free. I mean, I'm talking like less than 1%. It's basically free money. Even you and I could go get money. I mean, depending on your credit and what you have going on for one and a half percent, which is just stupidly low. I mean, that's just insane that you can get that money that low. And so um, these institutions are starting to form the speculative attack. And even people like you and I, I'm going to explain to you more about that speculative attack and how it works, um, how some of the best investors on Wall Street and these Fortune 500 companies are actually doing this, um, how they do it, Um, the potential for the gains that they're going to have from this and how actually even individual people like you and I could do it. And actually, a lot of you might even be doing it and you don't even know. Yeah, you might even know that you're doing it. So I'm going to explain that to you. Um, And like I said, tell you how how they're doing it, how we could do it and how you might even be doing it. Uh, We'll talk about that. And uh, by the way, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show Hopefully you're liking it because I'm bringing you the latest up-to-the-date information on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and how to navigate the decentralized revolution. And I mean, I tell you each and every week, it's the biggest opportunity you're ever going to see in your life. I'm just going to say that. And so if you're with me each and every week, I'll tell you how to survive. I'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we're talking about Bitcoin, of course, each and every week. The, we're talking about cryptocurrencies. It's a giant, giant thing. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, which I have continued to tell you this will be the biggest shift in humanity that you have ever witnessed. It's the greatest wealth transfer. But the way to take advantage of it, the way to participate in it is to have this information that most people don't have. I know it's confusing, and that's why I'm going to break it down for you each and every week. So make sure pull out your phone right now. Um, Put a calendar reminder, put the, put the channel right now that you're on listening to me, put the time and make sure you tune in with me each and every week. Now, before we went to the break, um, we've been talking about the price. Um, I was explaining to you price. We were talking about um, risk management, how to figure out how much you should allocate towards your own portfolio based off probabilities that you assign. That's your risk management plan. And I was uh, telling you that I was 
going to explain to you the speculative attack. I was explaining how George Soros um, got famous for attacking the Bank of England um, on the pound sterling and made a billion dollars in a single trade by doing a speculative attack. And now people are doing that against the dollar with Bitcoin. And so um, the way it works is rather simple, actually. And that is the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, is base, has basically put interest rates at about zero, um, you know, half a percent, depends on what time frame, 1%. And so, you know, people closest to the money supply, that's the problem with the, with, with the Fed printer. This is, the, this is what we're trying to change with Bitcoin. But uh, the people that are closest to the money supply, um, it's called the Cantillon effect. The people that are closest to the money supply benefit the most. And so um, the friends of the Fed, so the banks, uh, the big funds and institutions, they get the money first and they get it for cheapest. Then they drive the prices up and then it gets to the next person, which gets it for a little bit cheaper or a little bit more expensive and they drive prices up. And by the time it gets to me and you, we're paying a lot for it and prices are, are super high. Um, but that's another story for another time, the cancel on effect. You can Google it. Now back to this, the, the speculative attack. And so because interest rates are so low, um, these hedge funds, these institutions are basically getting money for like almost free. And when I say almost free, I mean, you know, one or 2%, which inflation is at 6%. So basically, when when your interest rate is lower than the inflation amount, inflation is basically paying your loan off for you. It's like free money, which of course, is exactly why the Federal Reserve and the government wants to have this inflation so they can inflate away the debts. Well, this is the same thing that people are doing. So Bitcoin um, has been averaging for the last decade a 200% compounded annual growth rate. So if I could borrow money at 10% and I could invest it for 20% return, that means there's a 10%, it's called an arbitrage, that's a spread. I borrowed at 10, I earned 20, I got to pay back the 10, but I keep the, the profit, the 10%, the arbitrage spread. Well, what about when it's doing 200% a year? Well, dang, that's pretty good. And what about when I can borrow at 1% and make 200%? Well, dang, that's real good, right? And so that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what we're seeing. And so I mentioned um, I mentioned MicroStrategy. I mean, uh, it's a company that's run by uh, Michael Saylor. And he's literally been raising money. I think he's done at least two or three raises, um, billions of dollars at this point for almost free, like literally giving away a few points of interest and then just going and buying Bitcoin with it. It's this speculative attack that's been happening. Um, and we're seeing this continue to escalate and escalate faster and faster and faster. And they're using Wall Street to do this. And so all over the news this week, big, big, big news was um, several Bitcoin mining companies. Um, we have one here, Bitcoin miner Prime Block plan, uh, plans to go public by merging with 10X Capital Report. Um, and they want a valuation of $1.5 billion. They're raising $150 million through private investment in public equity uh, for the deal. And so they're going to go raise money uh, for basically free. Uh, like I said, when, when I say basically free, what I mean is that uh, the interest they're paying on the money is less than the rate of inflation, right? I, I kind of already broke that down for you. Um, so it's it's basically free money they're going to go get. They're going to take this uh, $150 to $200 million and then they're going to go buy Bitcoin. 
because it's going up faster than the couple of percent of interest that they're paying. Um, now, they're also buying Bitcoin miners. So they're buying Bitcoin miners so they can produce more Bitcoin, and then they're not going to sell the Bitcoin. They're just going to hold it because they raised all the money. They're not the only one. Now, in, the, in the news this week, I see another one. Uh, Bitcoin miner Bitdeer to go public with a SPAC, with a SPAC merger. It, the deal values the company at around $4 billion dollars with a B, $4 billion. And so they're doing the same thing. They're going to Wall Street. Hey, I know you guys want to invest uh, in, into this. Uh, we're we're going to give you this these uh, really good terms on debt. You're basically going to give us money for free, and we're going to go buy a bunch of Bitcoin miners. And so that's a speculative attack that they're doing. Uh, there's another one, Genesis Digital expands in the U.S. with a 300 megawatt Bitcoin mining facility in Texas. Um, same thing. They went and raised a bunch of money to expand their, um, they had raised uh, $431 million to expand its Bitcoin mining operations. And the same thing. They're borrowing money for basically free and then going and buying Bitcoin with it. Here's another one. This is all just this week. Uh, Marathon Digital to raise $500 million. Um, the firm plans to offer $500 million aggregate principal of convertible senior notes due in 2026. They're going to buy Bitcoin mining equipment. And it says right here, taking a play out of Michael Saylor's strategy, um, uh, Saylor's MicroStrategy playbook, which is, as I've explained to you, borrow money for almost free and then put it into an asset that's going up by 200% a year. Now, again, this is a speculative attack. Borrowing U.S. dollars for very cheap to buy equity in Bitcoin mining companies. And then those Bitcoin mining companies will never sell the Bitcoin they mine. Um, and so what happens is the more people that leave the dollar, the weaker it gets. So that's how you're attacking. You're borrowing it for cheap, and then you're converting it into another asset like Bitcoin. And um, by doing that, Bitcoin goes higher and the dollar goes lower. And I can continue to do that. All these companies are continuing to do that over and over and over. They're all doing the same thing, following the playbook from Michael Saylor, following the same playbook from George Soros when he made a billion dollars in a single trade. Now, I said before the break, I was going to tell you that you might even be able to do this, or you might even be doing this right now and not knowing. So, uh, for example, I've seen uh, many, many stories. Here's one right here. Uh, mortgage uh, in April refinanced the house um, and, and got a 1.75% loan from the bank and took some of that money and bought Bitcoin. So that's, this is a story I'm reading right here. So they, they refinanced the house at 1.75% interest and took some of that money. So again, just like these funds, just like Michael Saylor borrowed money at 1.75%, which is way below the 6% inflation and bought Bitcoin with it. Now, I'm definitely not suggesting that you do this. Um, obviously, anytime you play with leverage, it's a dangerous game. Le leverage is like fire. It can cook your food or it can burn your house down. But you might even be doing this without knowing it. So for example, um, if you've bought Bitcoin or any cryptocurrencies recently, do you have any debt? Because if you have any debt, college debt, school debt, home debt, any kind of debt, and instead of paying the debt down, you decided to buy Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, then you actually did <laughs> the same thing. It's no different if you took a loan out to buy it or if you um, bought it without paying your debt down. You're doing the same speculative attack either way. Um, I think... I think history will prove it to be a good idea. We'll have to wait and see. Again, this is not financial advice. I'm just letting you know 
what is going on. Like I said, those are all articles from this week. It's happening on a bigger and bigger scale. I'm definitely with Kathy, Kathy Wood. Like I said, I give it a better than average chance that we see 5% allocation uh, towards Bitcoin from these giant institutions. We're seeing it at such a rapid rate. I don't see how it's not possible. You determine your own probability and then determine your own position sizes. Uh, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about cryptocurrencies, and we're talking about the decentralized revolution. It's literally the largest, it's, it's, it's the biggest shift we've ever seen in humanity. And I know that sounds really big. And each and every week, I'm going to continue to prove that to you over and over and over. It's going to be the biggest wealth transfer we've ever seen. And the good news is you get to decide which side you want to be on, the receiving side or the, or, or the giving side. I choose the receiving side. Um, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Thanks for listening. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.